Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Carl Perkins, and today we're studying uh, Daf uh, Tet Zion, uh, page 16 of Masachet Ketubot, of Tractate Ketubot. Now, if you've been following the previous Dapim, the previous pages of this tractate, uh, you'll know that what we are focusing on is the legal instrument known as a Ketubah. That is to say, a, a document, that's what the word ketubah means, a document that the rabbis insisted that um, grooms uh, agree to prior to their marriage, uh, which would uh, essentially uh, obligate them and or their estates to pay a certain sum of money at, at a minimum, to their wives in the event that either A, uh, they chose to divorce their wives, or B, they would uh, pass away during their married marriage uh, life and uh, leave their wives as widows. Um, that has been discussed in the previous chapter, and, um, uh, you know, the, the discussion in, in this particular chapter... That is to say, the discussion in this particular chapter picks up uh, from where that left off. But I I do want to just note that uh, what we're witnessing, uh, we already witnessed in Chapter 1, and what we're witnessing in Chapter 2, is a um, startling objectification of women, of their sexuality, and uh, it's one which uh, is very much at variance with uh, our values, uh, I'd say, um, the the liberal Jewish values of most of the people who will be listening to this particular um, daily daf differently recording. Now there there usually is a an apologetic that's offered for the ketubah. I mean, after all, in in ancient days, it was an easy matter to divorce a, a woman and to leave her high and dry. Um, and so there's no question that the institution of the ketubah. Um, is a progressive institution. It allowed for some protection for women. Um, in the rabbinic period, ketubot uh, amounted to a, a legal um, lien on the property of the husband. So it was uh, it was it was definitely an impediment to a quick and uh, capricious divorce, and it certainly provided funds for the uh, wife after divorce or after uh, the death of the husband. However, as we were introduced to already in chapter 1, um, you, you see that um, different amounts of the ketubah are paid depending on the status of the woman when she was married. If a woman was a virgin at marriage, uh, then the ketubah had to be at a minimum 200 zuzim. Uh, if on the other hand, the woman were presumed to have had sexual relations, uh, whether she was a divorcee or whether she was a widow, then the, the payment would only be a, a minimum of 100 
Now, either woman could have uh, similar uh, financial circumstances. Each could have the same amount of need following the death or divorce of the husband. That doesn't seem to figure into the minimal a number, uh, the minimal amount of the ketubah. It, it seems to relate to the fact that um, the virgin was considered to be a more valuable uh, commodity, if I may say, uh, uh, for marriage purposes. So I, I don't want to ignore that that basic um, that basic assumption of the text, um, but um, I, you know, I I do feel that it um, needs to be noted. Now, now the the notion of um, obligating uh, grooms or I should say husbands to pay a ketubah a sum upon divorce or upon um, their deaths um, was so heavily ingrained in the culture that even in a circumstance where the actual document of the ketubah could not be located, the obligation could be imposed on the husband. And that's the circumstance of this first Mishnah. We're told that if a woman becomes a widow or becomes divorced and... um, in the, in the first case, she says to the heirs of the estate, or in the second case, she says to her husband himself that when they married, she was a virgin. Um, well, uh, is she believed? The presumption is that there's no other evidence to this effect, to, to whether she was a virgin or not. And, that, and, and on that um, answer depends whether the husband or the husband's estate owes 100 zuzim or 200 zuzim. So the text in the Mishnah goes on to say, um, well, if she says that she you know, was married as a virgin and he says, no, 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 she was a widow, well, um, if there are witnesses that, in fact, she dressed with what's called a hinuma, or, uh, which is understood in the Gemara to mean some kind of a, um, uh, of a head covering, some kind of a, um, of a veil or perhaps a kind of a chuppah, that only virgins would be married with, then that supports her and she is to be believed. Um, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca says, well, if, if, if there was the distribution of roasted ears of corn, you know, which apparently was also something that was only done at the, um, the marriages of virgins, then she is to be believed, but otherwise she is not. Um, again, um, we have the somewhat uh, humiliating uh, situation of a, of a wife arguing either to her husband or her husband's heirs, which in fact might be her own children, that um, she was a virgin when she and her husband were married, and him or his heirs arguing that she was not. Um, so I, I just want to freeze that for a moment, and I, I don't want to walk away from the objectification of this text, uh, but I do want to say that there's a tension, even within the rabbinic um, tradition itself, between the the total objectification that, that this kind of a text would imply and the notion that, in fact, we are talking about real human beings, both husbands and wives, the men and women who are getting married. And we can see that uh, if we go to the very, very end of the daf, the very, very end of daf uh, Tet Zion, uh, of Yud... Um, Zion, 
uh, reads, it is the beginning of a passage that we'll look at in a little bit more detail uh, in tomorrow's um, episode, that begins with the famous words, Ketzad meraktim lifnei hakala. How do we dance, or what do we say, what do we sing before the bride? Now, this is not a legal question. Um, this is really about uh, what's the proper etiquette uh, at a wedding. And um, it is a reminder, and we'll see this again in more detail tomorrow, it's a reminder that um, we're not just talking about a transaction, a business transaction. So much of Masechet uh, Ketubot speaks of the marriage as a transaction. You know, when the... Um, when the husband is claiming that uh, the wife wasn't a virgin when they got married, even though she had represented herself to be a, a virgin, the language used is mikacho mekachtaut, that it was some kind of a, either a mistaken business transaction or a fraudulent even business transaction. Um, this little sugya at the very, very end of uh, Daf um, Tet Zion, uh, does remind us that the rabbis were very well aware that this isn't just a transaction. This is also about real human beings. And uh, we'll see that um, played out uh, in tomorrow's daf when we look at daf uh, Yud Zion or daf uh, 17 uh, when we continue tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.